Good morning, everybody. How are you? I'm um, glad you guys are here. Online campus, glad you are here. Even people from the state of Michigan, glad that you are joining us. Um, I am Joel. I'm the Connect Pastor, and I get to be here in the middle of the book of Judges. That that's where you are. And if you're, this is your first time here in the book of Judges with us, don't worry. It's not quite as like um, I don't know judgy sounding as as it might be because. The book of Judges actually has nothing to do with people in robes. <laughs> these, these, the people that we're talking about, the characters that we're highlighting, they never probably stepped foot in any kind of a courtroom that like you and I know. No, Judges in the Bible here, these are people who were like more like military leaders. Um, some of them weren't like trained militarily, but they just like were there for the Israelites and, and helping save God's people. That's why um, the word judge really has a lot closer to connection to the word rescuer. Um, then it does like a judge who sits behind a bench and stuff like that that you and I know, a rescuer. And I can't hear rescuer without thinking about this uh, Disney movie from my childhood. You, oh, okay, you do recognize this. And I actually liked the second one better, the rescuers down under. But if you don't remember, like there's characters in this. John Candy plays that silly bird. And um, Bob Newhart plays the little mouse, Bernard. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, I didn't double check this, but I'm pretty confident that the other mouse that Bernard has a crush on is voiced by Zsa Zsa Gabor. <laughs> it's, it's funny stuff. But if you remember The Rescuers, do you remember um, these then? Because this is how I watched them on VHS tapes that fit in VCR um, record. Yeah, it's, yeah. That, that, that's what I remember. But maybe you're familiar with that history. So sorry. We're back. I, I had the same thing happen last service, and it happened like in the same point in the service. So I must be messing something up. <laughs> um, anyways, maybe you are familiar with that part of our history, but do you remember where we are in the book of Judges historically? Like the Israelites are way past the time that they had been in Egypt and had been in slavery, and we're way past the time when they wandered in the desert, and we're way past the time that they took the promised land. We're here in the book of Judges after that, and we're before we get to the time where the Israelites had kings. Right now, they have no king. They're supposed to be enjoying this land flowing with milk and honey, this land that God had given to them, and they're supposed to just be following God and, and living it up. They're supposed, it's supposed to be perfection, but they are not living like that. No, um, in fact, they have, they have messed it up, and that's why we find the rescuer that we're going to talk about today named Gideon, we find him in a state of fear. We find him and the Israelites in a place of absolute desperation. And, and, and here in Judges 6, uh, the chapter 6, verse 1, we see that they're there because the Israelites had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, the Amicalites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined all the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. And um, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys, they came up with their livestock, their tents, like swarms of locusts. And it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land 
to ravage it. That was their purpose. Midian was so impoverished, uh, sorry, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they were desperate enough, they cried out to God for help. So how bad is the situation? Well, do you remember our verse for the month that uh, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to death? It's a verse to remind us that we're not supposed to lean on our own understandings, right? Like, we are supposed to follow God in his ways. Well, that's what the Israelites have done. They have done that, and they have gotten themselves into all kinds of trouble. God has turned them over to the hands of their enemies, the Midians, and, and we see things are pretty bleak. I used to have regular conversations with somebody that I didn't really enjoy. He would tell me every time I talked to him about how our government was collapsing and about how I needed to start growing crops in my backyard and about how I needed to get guns because one day I was likely going to have to defend the crops that I was growing in my backyard with my life. I'm like, hmm, doesn't sound like a world I want to live in. <laughs> You're like, that sounds pretty bad. But that's exactly where Gideon and his Israelites' uh, friends are, are at. They can't even grow crops because anything that they grow is going, to be come, uh, is going to become and taken by the Midians. And in fact, they are smart enough after seven years of this happening, they, they know not to get caught out in the open, not to be caught up in this swarm of Midianites and Amicalites and Eastern peoples, because if they are, I don't even want to tell you what might happen. And it, the situation was very bleak and I'm imagining this put people in a very desperate situation. They were looking for whatever help that they could get. And it just it reminds us of this cycle that we see in the book of Judges, that we can see even in our own lives and throughout the whole rest of human history. This is the cycle that you'll see. There is problems. There is slavery. That it, it leads us to seek God. And usually when we lean on God, then we will see some sort of prevalence. We'll see success, or we'll see prosperity, or at the very least, we'll see some sort of peace that passes understanding. And then, at some point in our dumb human brains, we're going to just forget about God. We're going to think, oh, we got here on our own, or we don't really need him quite as much as we did back in those days. And then when we forget him, then things go back downhill, and the cycle repeats. And this is where the Israelites are. They are at the very bottom of that. They are they have forgotten who God is. And I want you to think about that cycle and think about where you are in that because you may not like to hear this, but you are somewhere there. You might be questioning God. You may be listening to this and not even be 100% knowing that God is real, but you're somewhere there on the cycle. And the good thing about being in that desperate spot is that you look for answers. And that's what we see in Judges Chapter 6, verse 7, that when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But what does it say there? You didn't listen to me. <laughs> As a parent, you guys all know, anybody who's done, you, you know what that was like. Like, man, I laid out what was going to happen. It happened. And now, like, the only comfort I have is telling you that I knew ahead of time, right? 
You, you probably have done this at work. You're like, hey, I saw this problem coming, and I kind of told you this was going to happen, and uh, now I kind of want to say I told you so, but I don't want to get fired. <laughs> You've been there. It, it, God is here with the Israelites, and that's what he says. But did you catch the verbiage that the messenger has from God? He told Gideon and all of the people, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I brought you into this land. And drove the enemies out before you. Make no mistake about it. No one who was alive who was hearing this message here in Judges chapter 6 had ever been within 100 miles of Egypt. (laughs) None of them had ever heard anything other than stories from their great, 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 great grandma about the taking of the promised land. They were not there for that. So I want to know. Did the messenger get this mixed up? Like, is this some sort of uh, malfunction in the game of telephone? Um, Did the the angel misspeak when he said that God's message to them was that I called you out and I I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians? I'm asking you, what what happened here? I'll tell you what I realized. I, I, I would have easily just read through this and not even noticed. I think what's happening here is that God is saying... What he has done in the past matters just like it happened today. Whatever God has done in the past, it matters. It should matter to you and me just like it's happening here in the present. He says, but you have not listened to me. And I'll tell you this, it does not make a difference if you and I didn't see it. It doesn't make a difference if you and I didn't benefit from it directly And it doesn't make it less true if you doubt it. And it doesn't make God less powerful if you don't believe it. What God has done in the past matters for today. And and it just does. It it really, again, it doesn't matter whether or not I believe it or accept it or, or trust it. Like, this is what he's telling them. He says, but you have not listened. And so what we'll see here in the short story of Gideon is that the miracles of God, the the great change that God can bring about. These miracles begin with us remembering what he's done and remembering it like it happened yesterday. And then we actually have to listen to it too. So I had to look up the significance here of Gideon. When we find him, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Threshing wheat in a wine press. This is really what threshing wheat should look like. I have a video. It Threshing wheat should take place in a big, flat, hard, open space with some wind blowing through it. Because what you do is you throw the bales of wheat on the ground and you drag with a pack animal a heavy board with some stones underneath of it so that the wheat gets like mashed and separated and stuff like that. When that happens, the only thing that you have to do then is take that hay fork and throw the, the wheat up in the air and let the wind blow the chaff away and the heavier kernels will fall down on the ground. That's how you thresh wheat. That's the where it's supposed to take place. It's a big open area. We find Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. And this is what a wine press looks like. It, it's small. It's closed in with walls. And the one that Gideon is found at is covered with an oak tree. So it's, it's, it's hidden. I'm going to guess Gideon is sitting there. He's scared. He, he does not want to be out in the open. He does not want to be seen or caught by the Midianites. And he, and he can't afford to thresh a bunch of wheat. So the only thing that he can do is what little can be done 
in a wine press. And he doesn't have an animal or donkey or anything like that helping him. We already saw that the, the uh, Midianites already killed all that stuff. And so he is probably standing in this wine press, stepping on the wheat with his own feet. And I don't know how he's separating it, but he might be sitting down there, like picking individual um, straw up and, and separating it and throwing it out by himself. And, and he just, all he has to show for an afternoon's work is like a handful of, of grain. And in that scared, pathetic <laughs> um, kind of scenario, we see that this messenger from God comes to him and says, Greetings. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Those might be fighting words, <laughs> right? Like, hey, are you mocking me? Like, like I, I know I look pathetic here, but I, I don't need some stranger coming up here and, and, and calling me names or anything like that. But the funny thing is that Gideon doesn't, um, even, doesn't even acknowledge that the angel has said anything to him. He just kind of takes the opportunity and he says, pardon me, Lord. He takes the opportunity to complain. He says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Into the hand and given us into the hand of Midian, and that that seems a little bit bitter to me. I've, I've thought about what a better response to an angel coming to you and saying, "Shalom, mighty warrior of God, He's with you." I, I think a better thing to say would be like, um, "Wow, we have messed this up, and uh, we've worshipped false gods, and uh, we haven't paid attention to you, and I'm sorry." If you really are calling me a mighty warrior, can you give me God's strength and power and let's, let's take care of this? Like, I'll do whatever you want. You just say the word. That would be a good response, wouldn't it? Come on, I worked, some, I worked hard putting that together. I, I had to stop and think, what would I say? And then, then reverse it. I'm pretty sure that God would have found that response of Gideon pleasing. But no, instead Gideon uses the opportunity to be like, God has abandoned us. Why? Where are all the wonders that we've heard about? You know, I've heard it. I haven't seen it. So I'm not even sure that I'm buying that. I bet that's where Gideon is. And you know what? Um, I think that sounds a lot like a victim. That sounds like somebody who's got this victim's mindset that they're blaming others for the situation they're in. And yes, yes, Gideon and his fellow compatriots they have endured a whole lot of stuff that I haven't. They have feared for their lives. They have feared for the lives of their family. They have not known where their meals are going to be coming from. But as we'll see in Gideon's story, this is still not the best way to address it. I'll show you. You cannot be a victim. And Gideon isn't. I'll show you. But here's why. Because when we blame others for the, the situations we're in, we're not recognizing where we are. Yes, the world that we live in, you will be victimized. The world that we live in, other people affect where you are and what you do. You have, you have a job where your boss can hire or fire you. You, you have a job or you have a life where your parents can, can reward you and love you or they can ignore you and wound you. You, have a, you might have a relationship where that person can either cherish you or abandon you. 
And all of that stuff shapes the world around you. But make no mistake about it. You are not a victim. You are a victor through your faith in God. And if you don't believe me, just look back to what Gideon finds himself in. And what does that messenger of God call him? He calls him a, type it out, online church. What does he say? Mighty warrior. He calls him a mighty warrior. If you don't believe that, look at what Jesus' best friend John writes. He writes in 1 John 5, 4, everyone who's born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. And even Jesus, as he's talking to his inner circle in John 16, says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will be victimized. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So I ask you, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have the kind of faith that will find you threshing wheat in a wine press? Or do you have the kind of faith that will make you a victor? I tricked you. That's a trick question. It does not matter at all which kind of faith you have. You'll see Gideon's the weak, scared guy in the wine press, and God comes to him and brings him out of that. See, in Gideon's story, we don't even get to all the battles today, but you should keep reading. What Gideon does here is instead he stops complaining. He finally bucks up, and he's like, all right. He recognizes who he's talking to. He insists on making an offering to God, and then... The plan that God has for him, he jumps in with both feet. He takes that leap of faith because that very night, that very night, Gideon gathers up some of his father's servants and they go into the town square and they find the Asherah pole that represents one of the false gods that the people have been worshiping and they chop it down. And then they go over to the the altar where people make sacrifices to Baal and they tear that down. And they build an altar and make offerings to the true God. And Gideon, you know, does all that at night, possibly because, you know, he doesn't want to get questioned or because he's scared of what people's reactions will be. And what you'd hope is then the next morning people wake up and they see what Gideon and the servants did and they're like, all right, thank you. Yeah, well, let's, let's get on the right path, you know. Thank you so much for what you did. But that's not what happens, is it? No, the, the, the people are ready to stone Gideon for what he's done. And Gideon's dad, I think, has a really um, elegant argument here. He tells all the people, hey, calm down for a second. If these are really true gods at all, they can defend themselves. And so Gideon avoids execution here early on, and they just give him a derisive name. They call him Jerubbabel, which is fun to say, Jerubbabel. It means one who contends with God. One who contends with God. And I think they may have meant it as a kind of like, hey, this guy's going to get his. You know, this, this Baal's going to deal with him, this, this, uh, this contender with Baal. But I think Gideon wore that as a badge. And so what we see now is that there's this, at the beginning of the story, we find a terrible humanitarian crisis, right? I'm talking like Ukraine crisis type level, right? That, People are starving and dying and having to run and hide and and foreign powers are coming in and invading and doing whatever they want. And yet, it makes me wonder if God calls Gideon and is setting him up to be a mighty warrior, why does 
I'd send Gideon straight into battle. Wouldn't it make more sense for God to tell Gideon, hey, go take on the Midianites, kill them all, do to them what, what they have done to you, then people will see how, how powerful I've made you and they'll like, they'll like me again and they'll come worship me. Why is the first step in Gideon's leap of faith, his, 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 his working towards the miracle that God's going to do for the Israelites, why is the first step tearing down the false gods? <laughs> I wonder online campus if that has anything to do with something that we could learn from the story. You know, like, is there any kind of application we can take from this? Because I see that the Midianites are, are, are ramping up. In Judges 6, they're, they're crossing the river, and they're about ready to do their, their annual or biannual trip through the Israelites' promised land, and they're going to do what they want. And, uh, and I imagine they probably gathered up a lot of people. I think if you're a Midian, you're probably looking forward to this time of year. You haven't really probably fought too many battles. You just show up with your tremendous force and your camels that can't be counted. Yeah, those were like, those were a war instrument. And you show up and people just run and, and hide. And you can do and take whatever you want. I, that's closer to Mardi Gras than it is to a battle. And, and I'm, I'm going to guess that they probably enjoyed that and, and were setting up to do this again. So Judges 6.33, we see that they've crossed over and that in verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. He blew his trumpet and he'd summoned the Busyrites to follow him. Basically, Gideon has already gathered up his, his, his allies. He's told the, the Israelites what he's going to do now. And so here they are. They're actually facing down and looking at this valley full of troops that cannot be counted and their war instruments and, and transportation and life stuff that they don't have access to and now things are very real aren't they it's one thing to trust god it's another thing to trust god when the enemy is right in your face and you are about to have a showdown and if you've heard Gideon in any part of his story before, you've likely heard this next step, this weird thing that he does, because it's quite phenomenal that he asks God for a sign. He's already got the army lined up and stuff, and, and he's already got his enemy out in front of him. He's already, like, tear, torn down the Asher poles and the Baal altars. But he asks God for another sign. And he asks God, hey, if, um, if this is really what you want me to do, can you... Uh, make this fleece that I lay out in front of my, my, my door. Can you make it soaking wet with dew and then the rest of the ground dry? And then uh, God does it and he asks him to do the same, the reverse of that the very next night. And I'll tell you what, this caused a problem for me a little bit as I'm a little kid going through Sunday school because that just doesn't sound like stuff that I'm allowed to do, right? Like I don't think that I, uh, I think that I'm allowed to to, uh, to quiz God or, or to, to get him to jump through hoops for me. That seemed like you could look at Gideon's story and be like, man, this bozo, he, he's so scared. He got to talk to a messenger from God. He got, to, um, he got to have this fleece thing happen to him. That is a lot more direct communication from God than what I get. And, and you could just like be upset about that. But let me, let me, let me offer a counterpoint to that. Not many of us 
are staring down the barrel of an invading army who wants to murder you. <laughs> and, and when I see that uh, in the Bible that God says you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test, I, I believe that. But I also see that in Gideon's story, he had already taken a step of faith. And whether or not I think this story is right, it, what God does, I think, shows a lot about his character. I, from Gideon's story, I see that I serve a gracious God. And it seems that at least in Gideon's life, when Gideon has taken steps of faith and then kind of like would like some reassurance, God gives it to him. And, uh, and, and we see that in other parts of the Bible too. John the Baptist, the guy who gives his life dedicated to preaching the good news about Jesus, that Jesus actually was the Messiah, not just some prophet. And John the Baptist is now months away from execution, sitting in a prison cell, and he sends messengers to ask Jesus, hey, you're really the Messiah, right? Uh, we're not waiting for somebody else. And Jesus, when he receives those messengers from his cousin John, who spent his whole life telling people that he was the Messiah, he could have gotten upset. He could have been like, go tell my cousin John to get his stuff together. Because I don't care if he's in jail, him questioning me at this important time in my ministry is embarrassing to me. He doesn't do that at all. No, what he, what he tells John is, or the messengers, to go back and tell John that what you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. John, you can be sure that you have not wasted it, that, that what you've done is correct, that I am the Messiah. See, Gideon, he has already met with the angel. He's already complained about, um, he's already complained about and come to his senses. He's already made those sacrifices to God and torn down the other altars. He's already sent out messengers and recruited an army. And then is when he asks for another sign with the fleece. And sure enough, God, uh, God tells him, or God gives him the first fleece on the first morning, and he wakes up, and he finds this thing just heavy with dew, and he wrings it out, and there's a bowl full of water. And the very next morning, yeah, Gideon has the audacity to ask God to do it again, only in reverse. God, can you make the ground wet with dew and the fleece dry? Then, then I'll have the confidence to charge against this numerous, uncountable army and, and whatever, and, and God does. Gideon wakes up, and it's dry the next morning, and we don't see anything more about it. And what we see next is Gideon and his army charging after the Midianites, the Midianites being scared and running for their lives, and, and God winning a great victory for Israel. In fact, the, Gideon and his army don't just chase them out, they chase them down. And, and of course, people look at that in, in, with the remarkable numbers and the, how overpowered the Midianites were, and they see that God has done something special. And we can look at this cycle again, right? Now the Israelites are at the top of it. They, they have now followed God, trusted in him, and they are reaping the rewards. 
and you are somewhere there again. You are somewhere on that chart. You, you might be experiencing victories that you never thought that you could win, or you might be in spiritual free fall. You might not even believe that you're somewhere there, and you are somewhere living in those desperate times, looking for answers, but wherever you are, you cannot forget that God has, what God has done in the past. That's, that's really the best thing that we can take from Gideon's life. Because we see in Judges 8.33, as soon as Gideon died, they went back around the cycle. The Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal breath their God. They forgot the Lord their God who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them. And, and Gideon's story keeps going. Like He wins even more battles, and he recruits more people, and he takes his his own vengeance, and, and the Israelites experience peace as him, as their judge, but, but it's all short-lived. The, the people have forgotten. So again, what we, what we get from this, what the best thing that, that I can encourage you with this, this morning is just to remember, because what's next, the, the next rescuer we're going to talk about is going to have to rescue them from the hands of the Philistines. The Philistines are the people who bring us the champion Goliath. And what we'll see is that not only does the cycle repeat, but the next rescuer that the Israelites have, I don't think he's as sympathetic. I mean, Greg's going to tell you something about Samson that you've never heard before, but I think Samson's a brute. And, and, and what it just continues to highlight through the book of Judges is that they, and you and I, we don't just need a rescuer. We need the rescuer. Anything else falls short. And, and, and as we continue to go through the cycle where we try and analyze where we are, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to remember. To remember what God has done in the past. To, to live like God has just pulled the Israelites out of Egypt yesterday. <laughs> to, to wake up and to live just like Gideon has found the dry fleece this morning. To go about your every day as if Jesus rose from the dead every day. Amen? Because the miracles of God that we see in Gideon's life and the, the stuff that God, the miracles of God, they begin by us remembering what he's done in the past. And then listening to him. God, we are so grateful that you give us the opportunity to remember, that you give us the opportunity to question, that, that we have the opportunity to fail, and yet you have not turned your back on us, that we are your children, and you actually love us, not like anything else that we've experienced in this life. And we just thank you for that opportunity for you to use us in your story, God. May we join in that story and may we remember that story. May we live like it's true and it just happened yesterday, God. Will you help us in that? If we turn over, if we take small steps of faith, God, will you help us and encourage us? We, we invite your spirit in to continue to minister and, and teach and lead us, God. And, and we ask that as we go out of here. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.